Hello. Welcome to Syracuse Speaks, the view from the AHL, a Syracuse Crunch-centric podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ackerman. Let's get started. Hello. It is that time of the year where there's really not a whole lot to talk about. So if you follow me on Twitter on either one of my accounts, whether it be my hockey account or my personal account, I reached out to you all, to my listeners and to my Twitter followers, and asked for you all to ask me anything and give me some things to talk about. There are a couple of events going on in Crunchland that I am going to touch on briefly, but you know, beyond that, free agency is just a couple of weeks away. This is the first time since 2019 that free agency is going to be able to be back on July 1st. So obviously we're looking forward to that and to see what the Lightning might do because there are still some holes in the organization. There's still some concerns in the organization and waivers are going to be really tough this upcoming fall for the crunch, I think. So that might affect some decisions that are made, but you know, the Lightning did do a couple of things just in the past week or so. One of probably the bigger items is that defenseman Sean Day, who was, I believe, going to be a restricted free agent this summer. The Lightning did re-sign him, so he will be back in the fold. It's anticipated that he's going to go for a spot with the Lightning and maybe be the seventh or eighth defenseman up there, the extra guy, but it will be interesting to see where that goes. This past season, Sean Day struggled a little bit. He had injuries that really shortened his season. In 63 games for Syracuse, he had 14 points, all of which were assists, which is definitely a down year for Day, regardless of the injury thing. Uh, Last year in 69 games for Syracuse, he had 32 assists, 8 goals, 40 points. So even though he had injuries, and granted those injuries probably affected his production, he didn't miss that many games with Syracuse in comparison to last season. So it'll be interesting to see where his career goes after training camp this fall. He'll definitely have to have a strong one, and I'm sure he'll want to have a strong one so that he can maybe crack the lightning lineup for longer than the couple of games that he's done so, so far. The Lightning have also signed a couple of players from overseas. They signed a forward and a defenseman. Um, (laughs) Yeah, names are tough. Um, The defenseman is Emil Lilliberg. Again, apologies if that is not correct. He's 22. He was with the Swedish Hockey League and... There's talk that these players could come over or they could not. The Lightning might retain their rights. They might let them play over there. I'm not really sure what the plan is for these players. The other player is a def- is a forward, and that's um, Walteri. Yeah, M. His last name has a mark in it. I I don't know, but uh, he was over with the Finnish Elite League, and he is 24 years old. So what the plan is for these guys, as well as what the plan is for Matt Tompkins, who was the goaltender that Syracuse and the Lightning 
really more the Lightning than Syracuse, signed way back in May to a two-year contract. What the plan is for any of these players is not exactly known. So it will be really interesting to see how the rosters start to shape up as training season comes on. A couple of other things to note going on in Crunchland. Fans who are really missing the War Memorial do have a chance to return, should they so wish, and shop the team's, uh, I think I can probably say, semi-annual garage sale. This is something they've done for the last little bit. During COVID, the garage sale was online. Last year, I think, was the first year they were able to have it in person, and they have brought it back. If you are a ticket package holder, you can shop from 4 to 8 this Tuesday, June 13th. And the rest of the general public can shop the garage sale from 11 to 7 on Wednesday, June 14th. So if that's something you're interested in, all of the details are on the Crunch's website. And I'm sure there's a lot of good deals to be had there. And again, it's it's a way to reconnect with the front office. It's a way to be back in the War Memorial. It's supposed to rain pretty hard here in central New York at the beginning of the week. So what a better way to get in out of the rain and go reconnect with those things and and see what's for sale. The other thing that was announced just recently is Crunch fans have their six guaranteed home dates for the upcoming season, which will be the team's 30th anniversary. And we know from those dates that the home opener will be Saturday, October 14th. So it's a little bit earlier, I think, than it was this past season. So that is exciting, especially given it's you know, celebration of, of 30 seasons of crunch hockey. The other dates that we know will be home games coming up this upcoming season, Friday, November 24th, Saturday, December 23rd, Saturday, January 13th, Saturday, February 24th, and Saturday, March 30th. We do not know the opponents for any of those games. Um, start times, I assume, are going to continue to be seven o'clock, but I guess, hey, you never know. So, We will have to wait for that information once the AHL releases their full regular season schedule later on this summer, but it is good to know that opening night is going to be Saturday, October 14th, and the press release does mention that that night will feature a special opening ceremony. So whether that will include, I'm sure it will include some kind of a a video clip show, but whether that will include players from previous seasons, whatever that will mean. We will get more details on that as we shift closer to that date. So that's all exciting. Uh, It's nice to have something out there. But unfortunately, this podcast is at 6 minutes and 48 seconds. So clearly, there is not that much that I can say about those things, which is why I turned to my Twitter followers and my listeners to Give me some topics. Tell me what's on your mind. Let me know what you want me to talk about. So first up, we're just going to do the crunch-related questions. I had two different groups going on. I had crunch-related questions, and I had some personal questions. So our friend Lee, who covers Syracuse for Raw Charge, wants to know if I had the ability to magically bring anyone or everyone back, and I'm assuming he means from this past season, but I can also upgrade one position on the ice in doing that. What position am I upgrading and why? Although this past season's team 
never really got their consistency going, never really got things together. I really liked this past season's team, and I think that they really liked each other, which is useful when it comes to chemistry and cheering one one another on and, and playing for each other. So I actually would not mind bringing the majority of this past season's team back. I'd like to see them get a chance to play with each other again, maybe under some different circumstances. I think, though, if I then had the chance to upgrade anybody or anything, any position on the team, I would definitely want to upgrade the defense. And I'm sure nobody who listens to me ramble about this team is surprised by that. I just really felt like the defense... It wasn't as strong as it could have been this past season. And I think more veteran experience was needed. And especially when we looked at what happened when Darren Radish was recalled and wasn't returned. Philip Myers tried. Trevor Carrick, when he wasn't injured, tried. But there there needed to be more depth. And I think that a, a more veteran defenseman, playoff experience is a plus. Um, not taking penalties is also a plus. I really would have liked to see this team with an upgraded defense because I think that some of the issues we saw with the goaltending, especially given the amount of injuries Syracuse's goaltenders had this past season, I think that having a more solid blue line would have helped with that consistency. And I really would have liked to see that position be a little bit more solid for Syracuse. Uh, Shane, who is someone who has been a fan of mine for a long time, and I appreciate his support, asks, if I think the Lightning will sign another veteran backup goalie, or is it Hugo Elnefelt's time to shine? (laughs) What a terrifying question. So, of course, the elephant in the room with this question is this Matt Tompkins character. He has been signed to a two-year, two-way contract. He has he was most recently with the Swedish Hockey League. Clearly, our scouting staff has been working overtime scouting the European leagues and, and trying to find these players. He was also a goaltender most recently for Team Canada at the 2022 Winter Olympics. Um, he originally was drafted by Chicago played a little bit at Ohio State, played with Rockford. So he has experience. What their plans for him, though, is unknown at the moment. There's been a lot of speculation out there that maybe the Lightning is eyeing Alnafelt as their backup this upcoming season. I have issues with that just because I am not convinced that Alnafelt is at a point in his career where sitting for as many games as he would sit with the Lightning while they continue to have Andre Vavileski as their number one would be beneficial to him. The Lightning generally seems to struggle when it comes to developing their goalies, so I'm not going to rule out them making that decision, but I personally don't think that would be beneficial for him to sit that long as a backup in the National Hockey League. Does that mean that Tompkins is going to slot in there? Possibly. 
Does that mean that the Lightning is going to sign somebody this summer? Probably. I really don't know. What I would feel okay saying with certainty is that I think it's it's for Alnafel in the AHL with Syracuse, it's now or never. He had moments last season where he looked incredibly solid. In fact, there was one point in time where I made the, the strong claim that I would prefer to go into the playoffs with Alnafel as Syracuse's number one because I felt like the team plays better in front of him and he's young. He has a lot to work on. Rebound control in particular was really, really tough for both of our goaltenders this past season in Syracuse. And the fans saw it quite often where it seemed like the majority of the goals scored on Syracuse were on rebounds. And, and that, in hockey, if the goaltender makes the initial save, there's a group of people that are supposed to be there to clean up whatever has gone on. Those group of people, it's the, it's the defensemen. And, and the defensemen were my biggest problem with Syracuse this past season. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said about all of that and that dynamic there that I just don't think was as good as it could have been. But I do think that it's time for Alnafelt to shine. Is the Lightning planning on having Alnafelt be Syracuse's number one with Tompkins being number two? Are they planning on a 1A, 1B situation in Syracuse where both goaltenders get equal time until somebody takes control and, and runs with it? I don't know. And generally, when I try to guess what the Lightning's going to do, I am wrong. <laughs> uh, they are definitely unpredictable sometimes. So I do think, though, that Alnafelt needs to take the reins and become Syracuse's solid number one this upcoming season. I don't foresee them signing another veteran backup with the intention of having that veteran backup be the number one goalie. I think that there still needs to be a strong tandem in Syracuse. I don't think Jack LaFontaine, who I'm not even sure, to be honest, if if his contract is – I want to say it's up at this point in time. I don't think he's the answer. I don't think a LaFontaine-Alnafelt pairing is what I want to see in Syracuse. But I, I don't know. You know, we, we've had situations before with the Lightning where we've gone into the offseason with no goalies and then they signed like 17 of them over the, the like in the first couple of days of free agency. So it will be interesting to see where that goes. Scott Thomas, who you all should know, he takes fantastic photos of the team. The Crunch use his photos all the time. The AHL use his photos all the time. Raw Charge uses his photos all the time. Asks just just a just a fabulous gimme question. What players, coaches, etc., would you like to see the Crunch bring back as they celebrate their 30th anniversary in the AHL next season? Uh, there's not going to be any surprises here for those of you who know me really well or for those of you who have been listening to me for a while, but this question is is always a fun one to talk about. Obviously, the Crunch has been in the American Hockey League for 30 seasons. They've had a lot of players come through. They've had a lot of players pull on the sweater. They've had multiple NHL affiliations. 
So that has also influenced different things in different players and who's come through. So this is always a fun question for me. And the player that immediately comes to my mind uh, is Carl Gehring. Carl has such a storied history with Syracuse. He started his professional career in Syracuse in 2001-2002. He played four seasons with Syracuse from there. Columbus let him go. Then he came back to help Syracuse make the playoffs in 2007-8 and really helped to push that team that was not looking like a playoff team into the playoffs and was a big part of that group that a lot of fans remember really fondly. And then in 2009-10, he came back to Syracuse again, but this time as an assistant goalie coach. And he left again for a little while. And then lo and behold, in 2017-18 and 2018-19, he came back to Syracuse to work under the Lightning affiliation as a goalie coach. He was able to use his experiences there to get what I honestly believe was his was part of his dream job with his alma mater, the University of North Dakota. He's been an assistant coach, a paid assistant coach with them, which if you know the goalie coach situation in college hockey, that is impressive that he was able to get a paid assistant coach position with UND and you know, he's he's been there ever since. I don't know if the way the seasons would line up would allow him to come back to Syracuse, but he is by far one of the first names that comes into my head when I think about who I want to come to see for the team's 30th anniversary. Another player that I probably is is just me. I mean, this is just, this is just me, but the question was specifically my opinion. So uh, defenseman Dan Smith is a player who was with Syracuse for two seasons. He was captain for one of those seasons in 2008-9, and he was a part of that 2007-8 team that gets talked about a lot. I just talked about it with Carl, and, and it gets talked about a lot. Um. Dan is someone who I have a little bit of a personal connection with. When he was not re-signed by Columbus in the summer of 2009, I made a real huge nuisance of myself, for those of you who don't know the story. I started petitions. I wrote blog posts. I emailed whoever I could find to email with Columbus. Had I known now, then I would have gone about things very differently, but I didn't know. I wasn't really in I, – I had was dipping my toe into the blog sphere at that point in time, but I was certainly not what I am now. Um, I made a huge pain out of myself to the point where the then assistant general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Chris McFarland, decided he needed to call me on the phone to basically – basically it was one of those situations where I was heard we the conversation didn't go anywhere but one of those moments where wow this is really happening okay um so i fought that battle really hard for dan 
and he has been someone who I have personally um, continued to communicate with and, and catch up with every now and then. He, unfortunately, after that last season with Syracuse, he had been battling a knee injury and he had had surgery. The recovery did not go well. There was a lot of complications. Things happened. And he ended up retiring from hockey before he was able to play another game anywhere, let alone for Syracuse. And one of the biggest injustices that I've experienced through my years as a Crunch fan is what happened with his health and how he was forced to retire earlier than he wanted to. Dan returned to Syracuse for the outdoor game in 2010, and he was a guest that day. I would like to see him come back. I could go on and on and on about players that I enjoyed seeing and would like to see, but I would be remiss and you all would wonder what was wrong with me if I also didn't include Mike Angelitas on this list. I'm sure I don't have to go into it, but Angelitas was a pretty big deal in Syracuse. He was the team captain for four seasons in a row, which in the American Hockey League is fairly rare. Uh, current team captain Gabriel Dumont has been fortunate enough. We've been fortunate enough to have him for multiple seasons too, but this is this is a rarity in this league. Usually veteran players might stick around for a season or two, maybe three if you're lucky. Crunch fans got Angelitas for four. He captained the team to their very first Calder Cup final in 2013. He is one of the probably most well-known faces affiliated and associated with the team. And one of the biggest things that he did that, that I think we've, I mean, this was a decade ago. So it's hard to look back now, especially if you're a newer fan. I know that a lot of fans were brought into the team in 2017 with that run, and, and this is all they've known of the crunch. But for those of us who were with Syracuse as fans through the, through the Columbus years, through the Anaheim years, what Angelitas and the Lightning brought to Syracuse, this change in attitude, this change in culture, it, it was a big deal 10 years ago. It was huge. It drastically changed what was happening in Syracuse. It drastically changed the feel of the team. Uh, the team was no longer a group of super physical players and maybe a couple of skilled players that struggled to make the playoffs and or made the playoffs by the skin of their teeth every single season, which is what had been happening with Syracuse for a good couple of seasons before the Lightning came in. And instead, the team now was a skilled team who could still have that physical edge. And I know that there's been disagreements in the fan base about whether this was a good change or a bad change. And I know that fans miss the days of John Morasti and and the the fights that would bring people to you know to their feet and and all of that kind of stuff. I know that. But the fact is the league has changed and where the lightning is at is where the league is at. So if this team wants to be competitive and overall playoff success 
aside, especially recently, Syracuse has been competitive during the regular season. I don't think anybody can argue that. So if you want your AHL team to be competitive, where the Lightning's head are at is where it needs to be. So, you know, this past season, they brought some of the physicality back and the fans loved it and that's great. And if we can continue to have that compromise, fantastic. But the the change in expectations that this team will be a team that wins and this team will be a team that will make the playoffs, that was new. This team will develop champions for the Tampa Bay Lightning. That was new. Because both Columbus and Anaheim were really good at trading away (laughs) players that were developing in Syracuse and not so much at developing players to be champions. And you can't argue that that has been what has happened. And Angelitis was a big part of that whole thing. Uh, He was... He... He was, he was impactful and he meant a lot to myself and also many other Crunch fans. I would like to see him return. Um, as far as coaches go, Gary Agnew was always a favorite of mine. He was the coach that I started with when I started watching the team back in 2004. So I think he would be fun. Again, I mean, he's got to work for a living, so some of this might not be possible. It'll depend on 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 kismet a little bit, I'm sure, and who's available when and, and who can come in for, for the event. But maybe it won't just be for opening night. Maybe there'll be several other games throughout the season where there's guests and things and, and I can have like a secondary list. But if I really was to narrow it down, those are the people that I would want to return for that that first opening night. Before I get to the couple of personal questions that I received, there's one more hockey question that I wanted to talk about, and it comes from Scott Earl, who would like me to comment on Ben Grew's future. Do I think that he gets a shot running an NHL bench? Would Tampa ever promote him to assistant? <laughs> I don't I don't know about you all, but I'm growing very weary of the annual it's summertime, so let's all be concerned about whether Syracuse is going to have to find a new head coach or not event that has been happening now for at least three summers. Scott, this is not your fault at all. It's a fantastic question. And I would have ended up talking about it eventually anyways, but just it's tiring to have this. Will he, won't he, will they, won't they question every single summer. However, this is what we have, right? Ben Grew has proven himself in the American Hockey League, I think, to the extent that he possibly can. Have I been satisfied with Syracuse's most recent playoff appearances under him? No, I haven't. And in fact, I would really 
love to know why a team that is performing so well in the regular season under Gru can't break past the first round most of the time. And if they do make it into the second round, they basically get bounced very quickly. I'm a little confused as to what's happening there with this team, but you know, this is where we are. He's, he's basically done everything he can do at the American hockey league level, except for the fact that he hasn't won a championship. Is that holding him back from getting a shot at running an NHL bench? I'm not sure. There's plenty of coaches at the NHL level who have been promoted from the AHL who never won a championship. So I'm not entirely convinced that that has much to do with it. I think that part of what's happening here, and this is just completely my conjecture and guessing, is that Coach Gru is a very demanding person. It's his way or the highway, buy into my system or continue to flounder and fail. That is how he coaches. And I do think that he has softened a little bit since the pandemic and the many different ways that his life was affected, his players' lives were affected. But regardless, I I still feel as though that is how he coaches. That will be tough to adjust as an NHL assistant coach. I think that it would take somebody that grew probably already has a pretty solid relationship with in order to make that transition work, to soften Gru's edges a little bit, to run a completely different part of the team. Usually the assistant coaches work with the defense. That could be interesting. And again, I think that he would need someone who already has a friendship with him because the patience would need to be there. And the guidance and the friendship and the relationship would help any any bumps in the road. You know, Gru might be more willing to listen to the advice of someone that he already has a relationship with. So I think that that may be part of what we are seeing. Gru, as far as I know, does not have that relationship with Lightning head coach John Cooper. I don't think the two of them really have much to do with each other other than during prospect season when Gru goes to Tampa. I, other than that, I don't really think that the two of them have a friendship, have a relationship. So I think when it comes to Cooper, he's going to want people that he's already familiar with. Is that Gru? I don't really think so. So I do think his time has to come eventually. There are still plenty of openings in the NHL world right now. So I think that there's still the chance that someone will grab him away from Syracuse. I don't think it will be for an immediate head coach position because I also don't think that NHL organizations are going to look at him as immediate head coach material. I think that he he had something to prove when he came back to the American Hockey League to coach Syracuse, and for the most part, he's proved it. But he needed to get past all of that. And I think to be promoted to the NHL, he's going to need to be in as an assistant first. So again, he's going to need an organization and a coach that's going to be willing to give him that chance 
and work with him to mold him into the give and take that's required of a head coach and an assistant coach. So that's my two cents for what it's worth. Again, it is entirely my opinion based on nothing but various conversations I've had with others and just watching him all these past couple of years in Syracuse. So I have two other personal questions that were asked. The first one, uh, Lee came back again and asked if I would rather play hockey for a Northern team, typical winter wonderland, Syracuse, basically the East Coast teams, you know, north of Charlotte, uh, and have your summers in a tropical paradise or vice versa. Play in a tropical paradise and summer up north in a cool, cooler climate area and why? This is a great question because it, it shows that I have gotten old. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I would have said hockey is a cold weather sport. I want the snow outside. I want all of, of that nonsense. And I'm calling it nonsense because now that I am approaching 40 and I've been a crunch season for basically two decades, a crunch fan for basically two decades now. And I'm driving all over the state. I've always had to commute to crunch games. Um, I've lived as far away as Rochester and as close as Oswego and this summer, I'm moving to the Southern Tier, which is going to put me at about an hour and 10 minutes away from Crunch Games. It's not prohibitive. I'm still planning on making as many as I can. But, you know, obviously, if I play hockey for a Northern team, I'm not going to be having to drive that far. I wouldn't be living in the Southern Tier and playing hockey in Syracuse. But I am old. <laughs> And I am tired of the cold and the snow and having to commute to games in the snow and having the fans commute to games in the snow. So honestly, I would rather play in a tropical paradise, maybe one of those fancy California teams that we see so much about. Maybe Coachella. They're currently in the Calder Cup final. So that's exciting for them. First year in the league over there in the, in the final against Hershey right now. Uh, I would rather play in a warmer climate and get to experience what those warmer climates are, are like during the hockey season, which generally tends to be their more milder months, and then go to a cooler climate area during the summertime. Granted, at this point, there really there's not a ton of a difference between – colder climate areas in the summertime and, and other areas in the summertime. Some, some there are like Arizona, those types of places, but I would rather have my hockey season when it's that time period, because not only is the weather better, but there's more to do. You know, a lot of the times what I've learned from my friends down in Tampa is that the hockey season time is also the festival time. For these places because the weather's cooler. People can be outside. Fun times. I would really like that. So yeah, I, I think if you asked me that, my, my opinion on that 10 years ago, the answer would be different. But I am now old and at 38 would probably not be playing hockey. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's that's kind of where I am with that. 
Um, one final question, and this comes from Alex, my, my name twin, who is a Lightning fan that I haven't really talked to very often. They haven't been on Twitter that much, and he just, or, or she, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a he, but obviously I don't want to assume. So they reached out, and at one point in time, we had had an off-Twitter conversation about wines. Those of you who know, know that I currently live in wine country in New York State. The Finger Lakes area is well known for their wines. It's an area that I've really enjoyed exploring and living in these past couple of years. And I talk about this area a lot with people who travel and and those who might want to know what, what else is there to do in New York if you're coming for a hockey game or whatever. So we, we talk about this area a lot, uh, I'm usually offline because nobody cares about our, our conversation about wines and things. But uh, this was someone who I had talked about living in this area and the types of wineries and, and wines and grapes and all that kind of stuff. So they asked me which wines I am looking forward to drinking again this summer. And this I love this question. I'm not going to lie. It's breaking my heart a little bit to be leaving wine country. The Southern tier is more of a, more of a brewery oriented geographical area, which is perfectly fine. I'm sure that there's plenty of great places down there that I'm going to discover once I move, but you know, wine country is, is close to my heart. So I, I appreciate this question. Just this past weekend, I actually went to one of my new favorite places in the Finger Lakes. It's a winery in Geneva, New York. It's called Trestle 31. Their tasting experience is unique from anything that I have seen in this area. It's super personalized. It's very one-on-one. A lot of the times the woman who makes the wines, the winemaker is actually in-house and she will be the one doing the tasting and she will talk about everything with you if you if you want her to. Obviously, if you're not into geeking out about that stuff, she she won't go there. But if you are someone like me, I love hearing about the differences in wet years versus dry years versus drought years versus normal years and what that does to the grapes and and the soil and how that can change things and how which part of the vineyard you plant the grapes on can make a difference. And I could go on and on about this stuff for for days. And I've learned so much by interacting with people like her and with her the couple of times that I have gone to Trestle 31. And they recently came out with a new rosé. Trestle 31 is a relatively new winery, so their offering is still fairly narrow. They have Rieslings, they have Chardonnays. Um, I think they had a Demi-Sec when I was there just recently. But the Rosé was a wonderful, it's a 2022, and it's a wonderful summer sipping wine. Um, if you're interested, they do ship all over the place. So that was that was really fun for me. And you know, there's definitely a bottle in my fridge. One of the things that I do tend to do in the summertime is I tend to lean towards the rosés and the whites versus the reds. There are a couple of red blends in this area that I really like drinking in the wintertime because they're a little bit heavier. I do prefer the sweeter red blends versus the drier reds. So, you know, I do tend to transition to those in the wintertime. So when it comes to the summer, 
I generally lean more towards your Chardonnays, more towards the Rosés. And Three Brothers Winery and Estates actually has a Rosé on the fly, which if I remember correctly, it was an accident. They they did something wrong, quote unquote. And what they ended up with was a rosé that they didn't expect. And that's kind of and that that's where the name comes from. That's why they call it on the fly, because they they had to adjust and make make all of these changes on the fly. And what they got was this rosé. And it's very good. Um, it's definitely a summer wine. It has that nice pink color that you like your rosés to have. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy their, their rosés as well. So I do tend to slide back into, you know, the Pinots are, are always fun. Um, if you're interested in specifically Finger Lake grapes that are on the sweeter side, Diamond grapes is always a fun, your Diamond wines is always a fun flavor to explore if you're more of a sweet person. All of the Finger Lakes wines, wineries ship. So, you know, if any of these things sound good or if it's anything that you would like to explore a little bit, uh, you know, feel free to look them up. And also, please feel free to reach out to me. I am more than happy to talk about this area. It is probably something that I am not quite as passionate about when, you know, it comes to like crunch hockey versus everything else. But it's definitely a passion that I've developed over the past couple of years. And I love talking about tourism in the Finger Lakes and the wineries and finding the right wineries for people according to the things that they like. I love that kind of stuff. So if this sounds like a conversation you want to have with me, please don't be afraid to reach out. I would love to have it and love to talk to you about it. Thank you all so much for these questions. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoy having these types of give and takes between myself and and you all because it lets me know what's on your mind. It lets me know what you want me to talk about. And it also helps me out with content because we're coming into the dry season where we are right now. And it's tough to talk about crunch-related topics when there's nothing going on. (laughs) So I appreciate it so much. And um, thank you. I think that will do it for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm open to interactions and feedback, so please feel free to get in touch with me over Twitter. My hockey Twitter is FPHCrunch, F-P-H-C-R-U-N-C-H, and my personal Twitter is Alovimo, A-L-L-O-V-I-M-O. My personal Twitter is protected, but if you want to send me a follow request and I can see that you're a hockey person, I would be more than happy to go ahead and add you over there. Before we go, I'd also like to thank Purple Planet Music and Kevin McLeod for providing the royalty-free music heard in this episode. Keep taking care of each other out there in Crunchland, and I will see you next time.